Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I wanna thank you as you continue to go on this journey of being online. And now as we have talked about, what you are watching is our online campus. And so we are so excited that you have joined us and we are now going into our second week of going back to the basics. And as we are gonna be jumping into another gospel narrative, I wanna just begin with looking at a simple law of sacrifice definition. Listen to this definition of the law of sacrifice. The law of sacrifice says that you cannot get something you want without giving up something in return. What does that mean? In order to attain something you believe is of greater value, you must give up something you believe is of a lesser value. Now, how hard is that? Think about all the times that you have wanted to obtain something in life. There comes a place of having to ask the hard question, am I willing to sacrifice something else to be able to get what I want to obtain? couple of simple examples would be losing weight without giving up your favorite foods. Wow, that's really hard. What about the idea of getting ripped without long workouts? Are we really wanting to get into that physical condition knowing that we have to sacrifice other things instead? And so we live in a society right now that, that doesn't believe that. We, we live in a society of shortcuts, and the idea of denying ourselves of anything to obtain something that we believe is greater than that is not something we want to jump into. And so what we're going to be looking at today is the call of Christ. It's week two in our sermon series, Back to the Basics. Last week, we had talked about the whole idea of what is the gospel. And we looked at a character that, that really looked at the idea that what the gospel was was very different than what he wanted to hear, or better said, what he intended to hear. And now we're going to look at the call of the gospel. And when we look at the call of the gospel, is the call of the gospel exactly what we want to hear? And I will say this, that even before we fully jump into this passage, that whenever Jesus invites us to follow him, whatever he wants us to sacrifice for him is always so much greater than that which has kept us in a place of isolation, being far from God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I want to thank you for this day. And I want to thank you for the opportunity as an online campus to go back to the basics of understanding who you are and who we are in light of you. And here's my prayer today, Jesus, that as we look at this narrative, that we would respond to the very same call that you had given to others. And that we would respond to your call so that we would experience the freedom and the life and the affirmation and security that comes from following your call. And so Jesus, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst 
Be in my midst as I'm preaching right now. Be in the midst of those who are in their homes right now that we would be able to hear the gospel call and respond to it. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 30. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 30. And again, we say this all the time. If you need to press pause to either grab your digital Bible or your paperback Bible, whatever it is, press pause, whatever you have to do. But we are gonna jump into reading Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 30. And again, we're just gonna walk through this piece by piece so that we can know the characters, hear the call, and have the the ability to respond to it as well. Verse 17, this is what it begins with. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's give a little background so we know exactly what's going on. This is Mark chapter 10. So this is actually at the end of Jesus's ministry and he is heading to Jerusalem. Now, when you study the gospels, we know why he is going to Jerusalem for that final time. And so as he's on his way to Jerusalem, a man runs up to him and he falls at his feet and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, there's a couple things about this very beginning verse that is so significant to the whole narrative. First was how this person had given Jesus the title of good teacher. It wasn't rabbi. It was good teacher. And so there was a place that that this person had believed that they had a connection with Jesus, that they were sitting in a place of intimacy, that Jesus had a place of authority, that he was able to speak into this man's life in such a way that he was trying to constantly respond. Why do I say that? Because in other words, what this man had done is he had been following Jesus from a distance, listening to Jesus from a distance, and all of a sudden he is saying and recognizing that what Jesus has been talking about is what he has been trying to track with. He wasn't rabbi. He was something of a closer, more intimate leader, person speaking into his life. And so this man asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, the truth is, this is the question of all questions. In other words, what happens when I die? How do I find a place of eternal hope? How do I fill that void that that there is that questioning inside me of of emptiness that, that I need to have an eternal answer? So as I think about this, why would he have asked these questions? Was it the fear of death? Was it the anxiety of identity? What was, this, was it the sorrow and possibly losing a loved one and wanting to be reunited with them in the future? This man was seeking the answer for all answers because something in him had caused a divide that never filled that void that he was running after. And so when he went to Jesus, he was thinking he was running to the answer. Let's continue. Verse 18 through 20. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. 
Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. This is so significant in how Jesus first responds to this man. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, as I have read this passage so many times, whether it's been for my own personal time or for teaching moments, this is significant in how Jesus views himself. You see, when you look at all the the world deities that people have placed on other entities, every other deity has always tried to find that they would be identified as God themselves. But Jesus was different. Jesus did not say, I am God. He says, I am the way to God. I am the way to the Father. And Jesus always pointed back to the Father. He never pointed to himself. He never glorified himself. He said the only one that can glorify the Son is the Father himself. And so Jesus says, I am not good. I am not Godifying myself. I sit under the authority of the Father, and the Father glorifies me. And I think we need to understand this, church. This is what separates Jesus from anyone else who has tried to find a place of deity in our world. Jesus is unique. It even says in Philippians that because of Jesus' humility, that the Father elevated him. And that because he was willing to go to death and be a servant, a suffering servant, that because of his death, because of his servanthood, One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God's good. And then he jumps into the last five commandments. Now this is significant. Hold on to this because I'm going to come back to this. Jesus starts rattling off the commandments, the last five ones. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And as this man is listening, he's going, yeah, done that, doing that, get that. And he's saying, I've done all these. I'm following the law. I'm following the letter of the law. I'm doing all these commandments that you are talking about. And still, it almost comes back to last week when we talked about Nicodemus. The law cannot fulfill our eternal emptiness. The law points to our need for God, but the law is not God itself. And so this man says, I've done them all. I've done them all. And I think that's something that we have to realize, even as the Western church. We get so caught up in performance that we miss out on what Jesus is really asking us to do. We oftentimes miss out for for the purpose for why God sent his son into the world. And so that's where this man was. 
I follow the law. I do the law. I perform the law. And still, it's not enough. And so Jesus continues in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I look at that verse, and I think that's one of the most profound statements that Jesus makes in the gospel. I actually hope that when Jesus looks at me, that he says, as he looks at Rob Parker, he feels genuine love for him. We totally miss this in this passage because as we continue to read, you're gonna say, oh, I know, what, I know that passage. I've heard that one before. And here you have a, a, a man who's running after Jesus, trying to obtain everything he can for eternal life. Jesus sees the passion in him, the desire in him, the longing for him. And Jesus just has great, genuine love for him. How I always envision these type of narratives. I see Jesus having a little smirk on his face. And there's that look that Jesus looks upon this person. A look of saying, hey, I know what you want. I know what you're longing for. I know that you are genuinely seeking after what your heart longs for. And so Jesus says to him, there is still one thing you haven't done. What do you mean there's one thing I haven't done? He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. In the midst of outwardly doing all of these commands, the last five of them, Jesus addresses the first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods who is before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or below. And so what Jesus is addressing, he's saying, go sell everything. Give it all up. There was something that even in the midst of trying to perform the law and obeying most of the law, this man had created an idol for himself. Jesus says, I want you to give this up. Now, as you notice that when I started this, I didn't read the, the title of this passage. This title of this passage is called The Rich Young ruler. And so, in other words, this man was of great wealth. This man had a whole lot. He had everything that he wanted. He had finances and possessions. And, and, real, and the, re, the reality is this, that was what was his identity had become. His, his identity had become in what he had and possessed, whether he earned it or he inherited it. And more than likely, it was something that he inherited because he was a rich, young ruler. And when you study ancient times, oftentimes people like this are those who were born into wealth. It was given to them. 
And it was their responsibility to maintain it, to be stewards of it, because it was a sign of status. It was a sign that God's favor was upon that person and that family and that lineage of people. And so when people saw a rich young ruler who was obeying all of the laws, their thought and that person's thought was that God found favor in them. And so all of a sudden you see this, that there's this moment where, where the rich young ruler has a heart check because this can't be. My wealth, my possessions is a sign of God's favor. My wealth, my possessions is my identity. It's what validates me. It's how I believe that God validates me. It's how I believe others validate me. And so every time I wake up and I put on that beautiful robe and I walk around the streets, it's a sign that I am favored. And Jesus says, give it all up. And not only give it up, but give it to the poor. And I believe that that's probably one of the biggest tensions. It wasn't maybe just giving it up, but giving it away. Giving it away to to those who probably did not deserve it. And it was the first time this past week as I studied this passage that I really thought about, I wonder if the tension was more about giving it up or giving it away. Because he was going to have to give it to those in the Jewish community's eyes that those individuals had caused those problems for themselves. And now he is supposed to give what was rightfully given to him to those who did not deserve it. And let me just read this to you. With surgical precision, Jesus exposes the greed and idolatry in the man's heart. Greed the man did not even suspect he had. How is that? Because if he was a good Jewish man, he would have given away a minimum of 20% of his wealth every single year. The tithe and to the poor. And now Jesus is saying, no, give it all away. How true is this with all of us? That there are areas in our lives. There are possessions in our lives. There are relationships in our lives. There are vocations in our lives that have given us more identity than anything else. And what would happen if Jesus came to you and said, give it up and come follow me? Because what Jesus was really saying, here's what Jesus was really saying, whatever that is, is standing in the way between you having the ability to understand who you fully are as a child of God. And that's a hard place to be. You see, what Jesus was really addressing was a heart issue, the condition of the heart. 
right? That which is our will, that which is our emotional bank, that which is our intelligence that that causes us to to sometimes live in a place of ego that, that separates us from God. And Jesus says, give it up. Because your idol, young man, is your wealth. And what the beauty of this passage is, it wasn't that Jesus was scolding this man. Jesus was inviting this man to experience the fullness of God that comes in having a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus actually said to the man, come, follow me. Leave it behind. Let's go on a journey together. Let's experience your best life now. He did the same thing with Peter. He did the same thing with John. And when you look at these other disciples, there were actually barriers in each one of their lives as well. For Peter, it was his vocation, being a fisherman. And what Jesus had said is, leave your nets behind. I am going to teach you how to be a fisher of men. What about Mary Magdalene? a woman who was caught in a place of adultery. Well, the woman at the well, stop finding your validation in other relationships. And Jesus invited them to leave it behind. And for this person, his validation came in his possessions. What is that idol of your heart? Is there something that that you will like thrive with Jesus and then something happens and it just stops you? And I think now more than ever during this whole pandemic season, during a season of social unrest, during a season of, of really political unrest, that there are things that are kind of coming to the surface that we are recognizing that are idols of our hearts that are blocking us from experiencing the fullness that Jesus has for us. And that was the tension right there. Because remember, this guy was following Jesus from a distance. Good teacher. I'm watching you. I'm listening to you. I'm trying to apply the things that you're telling me, right? I've gone to life group. I've gone to church. I've been watching from a distance. I've been trying to follow you, but, but there's still this emptiness And Jesus looks at this man with genuine love. He does not look at this man with condemnation. He looked at him with genuine love and said, hey, get rid of that which is blocking you from experiencing the fullness of God. And for me, I remember that moment. I remember that personal, intimate moment. when I had to give something up, if I wanted to experience the fullness that God has for me. And so this is how this young rich man responds. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. He turned and he walked away. 
It goes on to say in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is this analogy coming from? What is this illustration? This is an old Jewish parable about impossibilities. And Jesus talks about the old Jewish parable of, of impossibilities that, that a seven to 800 pound animal cannot fit through the eye of a little sewing needle. And there are certain things in people's lives that if they're not willing to sacrifice, things will be impossible to obtain. Did Jesus say that riches are bad? He did not say that. He said riches have the power to become idols in a person's life. And right here is, is all of a sudden is, is we get stuck. Well, pastor, what are you saying? Are you, are you saying that, that rich people don't, don't have an eternal life? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that riches have the power to block us from seeing who we are in light of God and experiencing the kingdom of God because we believe that our riches are of greater value and we choose to find our validations in those things more so than we're willing to find it in God. And it's true. It's true. There are things in our lives that we are not willing to sacrifice to obtain that which is better. Think about the young couple in love. And let's just walk away from, from the whole idea of wealth for one moment. Think about the young couple in love. The young couple in love, they fall in love and they have this, this crazy romance. They, they realize like, you are the one. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. And then all of a sudden, as they really dive into it, they realize that there's going to have to be sacrifices that are going to be made. Maybe it's moving across the country. Maybe it's moving into a certain community. Maybe it's having a different lifestyle that's not going to be as, as high and fulfilling as they wanted, but, but is that relationship of more value than everything else? And sometimes people in those situations choose to walk away from that relationship, which deep down they believe has such great value. And it's the same thing with wealth. That wealth, that, that, the desire, that fear of, of not having that power and control to determine my future something very hard to give up, trusting in faith that God has the best yet to come. And so there's this real tension. Well, what are you saying, pastor? This is what I'm saying. Is that God calls each of us to give up that which stands in our way to experiencing the fullness of God that he so desires for each 
one of us. And for some of you, it may be your wealth. For others, it may be a very unhealthy relationship that you are in. Because oftentimes what happens in our lives is that which God is asking us to give up is the one thing that has caused more problems and tensions in our lives. But because we've made it a God, we keep our eyes focused on that so much that it has blurred us and distracted us from what God has intended, how we are supposed to experience the fullness of life that he has for us. And that's the call. That's the challenge. What is that idol? God said there should be no God before him. No idol in place of him. But this is what we have to remember. When Jesus asked this man to give something up, the law of sacrifice, we give something up to obtain something of greater value. He said to him, give it up and come follow me. And I believe that's where this part of the passage that, that, that we miss out on as pastors. Whenever God asks us to give something up, it's because he's going to give us something better. Whenever he says, give up these idols, it's because he wants to give him more of himself to you. He wants to fulfill you. Hey, I want you to get rid of this really bad relationship because I have a better relationship for you in store. I want you to give up these earthly treasures because I want to teach you the value of heavenly treasures. And so we need to have the ability to look at the conditions of our hearts and say, is there any idol that stands before me and God that Jesus is saying, I want you to sacrifice that so you can obtain this? Because eternity is not just something that's in the future. Eternity is what is now. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's the gifting of the Holy Spirit that allows us to live in the empowerment of who we are to live out the kingdom of God in the present here and now. Because that's what this young man was looking for. And he was doing everything great, going to life group, showing up the plant, maybe even playing an instrument in the band. But there was this still longing for more that he knew that he had not obtained. And Jesus is saying, I know what it is. Let it go so I can give something to you. And again, it's the same call to this young, rich man that it was to Peter and John and Mary Magdalene and all these other disciples. But each one of them had a different idol. You see, Jesus is always consistent with his teachings. It wasn't like all of a sudden he saw this, this man and said, let me give him a new teaching. No, listen to the other teachings of Jesus. He, he gives this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. He continues with the parable. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. We give up so we can attain what God has for us. This is the verse, this next one I'm going to read that changed the direction of my life. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I came to a crossroads just like this young man. I was a young man at the time. I was 20 years old on a college retreat and I heard Mark chapter 8, 34 through 35 saying, I need to deny myself, take up my cross, follow him. And I remember having that moment. Am I willing to sacrifice my own validations and idols to find affirmation and identity in who I am as a child of God. So again, we come back to this narrative. and We come back to the narrative of your life. Jesus is looking on you with genuine love and he's got a call. It's not for some, it's not for a few, it's not for the elite It's for everyone. Come, follow me. But in order to fully follow me, you need to let go of the idols of your hearts. And so we we see that salvation is a gift of God when we say yes to him by taking a step of faith. So let's conclude this by looking at the end of the passage. And so one of the disciples says, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Humanly speaking, you can do nothing to attain eternity But with God, everything is possible. And so what we see is that that salvation is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. If we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. When we look upon Jesus and who he is, and we declare that he is Lord, we attain salvation. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. You cannot purchase your salvation. It's almost like the rich young ruler. What do I need to do? What can I give to you in exchange for eternal life? There's nothing you can do. So you cannot take credit for it. It's the work of God so that no one can boast. But then there's a, a second part of salvation, and I do believe it's a two-sided coin. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. 
Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Salvation is affirmed in our response to following Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus and we set aside our idols and those things that have kept, him, kept us from him, there's an affirmation that Jesus gives us. That as you have trusted me, as you have followed me, as you have given these things up, that is recognition that you are fully trusting who I am and who you are in light of me. Peter had this, this second guessing moment at the end of this passage as he's, he's watching this scenario play out between Jesus and the rich young ruler. He, he, it was almost like, have I missed something, Jesus? Like here you have this guy with, that you're saying you look on with genuine love, and, but, but yet there's something, have I missed something? And Jesus affirms Peter, no, Peter, be affirmed. Be affirmed that you put to death your old life. Be affirmed that you have trusted me as you have followed me by knowing that who you are as a child of God is wrapped up in Jesus rather than anything else that this life had tried to offer you. And so as we conclude our time together today, let me just ask you a couple questions. And this is a call of response that I believe that, that, that we are supposed to address today. Because there are some of you that are living like the rich young ruler, that, that you're doing everything to attain some kind of eternal peace and, and, and presence, but yet there's something that's missing. There's something that has been blocking you. There's something that you keep running back to. And maybe it is wealth. Maybe it is a relationship. It is some kind of idol, something that is keeping you from God. And so here are my two questions. First, what is that one thing that if Jesus asks you to give up, you would have a hard time doing? What is that one thing that if Jesus says, give it up, you would have a hard time doing? It's almost like you would look at Jesus and you would look at that thing and you would look at that thing and you look at Jesus and, and all of a sudden, like, you start debating. Can I really sacrifice it? See, here's the, the tension. That's when you realize that this has become your God. And Jesus is saying, God will have no other gods before him. Second, is there an idol that has kept you, like the rich young ruler, from knowing the confidence and peace that comes from knowing Christ and following him? I think one of the most powerful parts of this passage is when Peter second guesses himself. What have I missed? This seems impossible. And Jesus right away affirms him. 
says, no. You get it. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you obtained. It's not about what you have. It's not what you strive for. But it's understanding who you are in your identity as a child of God. And people will say, Pastor Rob, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you have eternity? How do you have that confidence that you know that if if something were to happen today, that you are in eternity with Jesus? I think it comes back to the end of this passage. One, yes, I came to a place in my life that I realized that there were idols that were standing before me and God. And my idols may be very different than yours. But I came to a place saying that this is standing before God. And I said, Jesus, I declare you as Lord. And then as I look back on my life, I see how I sacrificed that which was an idol that had become a God. And I had put it to death. And I chose to follow the God of creation that has my, his will for my life and his plan for my life better laid out than any plan or will that I could create for myself. Is there something that has kept you from experiencing the fullness that you have longed for that comes in Jesus? Is there anything that has kept you from that? And if there is, this is what Jesus is saying. Lay it down. Put it aside. Give it up. And come, follow me. And here's the beauty. All you need to do is give it up. And he will work everything out for you. That's why you have pastors. That's why you have life group leaders. That's why you have Christian brothers and sisters that you can talk to them and say, I need to give these things up. I don't know how. I don't know what life will look like. But you have other people who have gone before you so that they can let you know that this has been that one thing that has kept you from experiencing the fullness of God that comes in Jesus Christ. And they are there for you to walk you through the next steps for God's best. So as we go into a time of worship, I want you to ask yourself the hard question. Am I willing to give up that which has kept me from experiencing the fullness of God that's found in Jesus Christ? That's all I want you to do during the song of worship. Identify it. And then just hand it over to Jesus. Let's worship together. If today you had identified an idol like the rich young man, I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you through a prayer of dedication. So we said this all last year. Open hearts, open hands. And here's what I want you to do. In your hands, I want you to envision that idol. It might be your wealth. It might be your vocation. It might be your relationship. It might be your ego. I don't know what it is you do. 
Pretend that as if you're giving it to Jesus because your heart is finally opened. And all I want you to say is, Jesus, I give you my idol. There is no God except you in my life. I choose to give this up so that I can experience and receive the fullness of life that you have before me. And I choose today to come and follow you. If you just pray that prayer, I want you to reach out to one of the pastors. I actually want you to reach out to to our virtual pastor, Pastor Mitch, and let him know that you have made that dedication today. That you have given up your idols so that you could follow Jesus and experience the fullness of life that comes in him and by him for you. Plan family, remember this. We love you, we're praying with you, and we're praying for you. Have a great day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.